to the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? If you're drowning and I throw you a life jacket, would you grab it? Yes, good. Pick up 200 shares. I won't let you down. Pay him. Pay that man his money. Ask them how they'd like to see 30, 40% returns. What are they going to say? No? I don't want to see those returns. Where's the money, Lebowski? You're going to make a lot of money, right? Be aggressive. Learn how to push. Show them a 3% return. I'll trust you to watch his kids for the weekend. I'm a big fan of money. Move around. Motion creates emotion. I did not know that. That's it. I'm done. Hello and welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tamano. Eliani on the board. Made it in before the rain. It's like Thank rain. So we both did that, which is nice. Allegedly, the south side is already raining and traffic problems. Of course, we'll cover all that in a half hour. It's, it's your job. Take care of that. Let me know where, where, the, where to go and to go back home or something. Pretty much, just, which is every day. Yes, SP Futures down 23, NASDAQ Futures down 99 after a huge update yesterday. One of the knaves this morning is Target re- uh, reporting issues with inflation, with supply chain, and they're down 21%. They're down 46 bucks. Ouch. I almost... Played that one yesterday on, a, on an earnings play. I don't. Let me see if I can find it. I don't think the straddle was anywhere near that. I mean, it couldn't possibly have been. Let me see if I can still find it from last night. The uh, where would it have been? It would have been a uh, one sixty-eight plus forty-six, two twenty. Ouch! I'm going to say the straddle was twenty-five bucks, thirty bucks, and now it's uh, maybe twenty-seven bucks, and now it <laughs> it moved forty-six. Oh, <laughs> you wouldn't want to be short that one. Do we have Mr. Kevin? You do. Good morning. So are you short the target straddle? Um, short the target straddle. That uh, that could be a, uh, a name for a rock band. Um, I, I suppose I should ask. Uh, do you want to sort of like toad the wet sprocket? Do either one of you know what I'm talking about? The, the, if, if the stock's trading two fifty at the two fifty strike, really. Uh, There'll be a call and a put. All right. So if you if you add those two together, that will give you the market's expectation of how much the stock's liable to move on an earnings play or the next day or whatever. So if the if the puts are ten bucks and the calls are ten bucks, it's telling you the market is looking at a pretty good chance that the stock will stay within twenty dollars either direction. And th- those guys, the market mavens yesterday were wrongo, wrongo, and that's been happening. Yeah, they were. This been happening. Like you, you also you have Target and what was yesterday Walmart was yep. uh, um, was had a disappointing report, and now they're starting to cite transportation cost, which is absolutely a real thing. So, um, you know, er- everything we've done to uh, fuel prices is starting to take its uh, its toll on uh, retail earnings. Um, I would say so, uh, but I will also say that. Uh, is is I don't know. I, I, down this road for a little bit because then I want to quiz you on some baseball stuff. I love sticking it to you and Maddie. Of course, Maddie's not here, but I would stick it to him too. Um, uh, targets uh, PE ratio for today is like fifteen, which is traditionally where retails sort of are, especially in a a rising interest rate environment. Because this is a you know they are retail basically or totally and. Uh, Stock was at, in last March. It had a down move from like two thirty down to one ninety one eighty five. All of a sudden, they had an earnings. A mar- their March earnings must have been really good because they had a gap up here of like thirty bucks. So it goes up to two twenty from two from two one ninety five basically on one day. Hex round, hex round, and then 
in April, it just starts marching up. As I mentioned on the show a couple of times, this target goes up every freaking day. So the stock tops out, I'm going to say, just my eyeballs on this chart, but I will get the exact number. The stock tops out at 254.87 on the 21st of April. So what, three weeks ago, four weeks ago? And uh, so now it's trading 168.70. Now, you could say they have a, they have a problem with what's going on, and you know, I'm sure you're absolutely right, Kevin, but it's, it is also up to them to say, to come up with, quote, an excuse, right? Not, oh, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean you're not going to come out and say, that's uh, <laughs> down suck. 46, but we, <laughs> yeah, but we start. But, I mean, the question we, is... You know, poor management is the reason yeah, yeah, earnings are down. If you dump me, you, you, we'd all be better. Uh, the question is, what was it doing that high? I mean, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's, if it's a 15 now, obviously up at 260 or 255, it had to be a 20 something. I mean, what, what are we doing? I mean, in Walmart, same thing. I mean, it's, it's pretty darn high for a retailer. Now, Home Depot, I think, is a, is a very select area because until Walmart and, Har- and Target start selling lumber, which I wouldn't be a bit surprised if they, they do pretty soon, uh, cause they went from, I think there's, m- there's way more pricing power in, in the, the Home Depot area of the world than there is in the Walmart Target world in terms of staples every day. I mean, I honestly believe that. And, and I, uh, cause I, I think you, you know, you can still get some buying power and like the, okay, they're around anymore. Remember like the IGAs, the, the, the grocers that would get together and make the buy them for a bunch of them and sure. so forth? Yeah, it was a buying consortium, yep. I think you can still get some prices. Uh, in other words, I think it's easier to be competitive in the food industry, if you and I open up a food store, you know, be it a Mariano's or a Tony's or whatever they are, the independent ones, because they do pop, they do pop up. It's easier to be independent in those areas or competitive than I think it is in Home Depot or Lowe's. Now, in most of the country, you don't even have a Menards, right? The Menards is, is the big, the big uh, monkey wrench for those guys because they, they keep them honest. I think three is better than two, and plus you still have a few other places in Chicago. But, it, but you know what's interesting, uh, Kevin, is the places in Chicago, like Fox's Lumber and so forth, that when I was in the business, the South Side, I used to buy all my stuff there. Well, it was long before Home Depot and Lowe's. And, uh, I mean, there, there were about five or six lumber yards, and the first thing you did was look at the Chicago Tribune had the, uh, uh, you know, the, all the sales in the middle of the Tribune back when it was a real newspaper. And when, I, when, when the, the uh, plasterboard was on sale for two seventy nine at Fox's, I'd get in my truck and I'd get over there and get much as I could put in a garage because I know I was going to use it, and uh, so I mean there were there were sales all over the place, and I don't I think those guys like the I think I haven't been there a long time, and I think Fox's has gone to a real high end, you know we'll, we'll re- redo your kitchen for a hundred grand that kind of thing, and they've and they've gone to the finer lumber's and the other stuff, and they've they kind of gotten out of the you know cheap plasterboard business. I mean I'm sure you can still get it there, but I don't think that's where their profit is anymore. So I mean you see these industries develop, and you and you look at them and. You, and you, you start to see why they developed that way. And it's, uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I think, well, like I said, I'm pissed off at Home Depot because I paid $8 for a bulb that I'm, I'm assuming was mismarked or I was an idiot for buying it, one or the other. But uh, it turns out it was a dollar and a half bulb, so I'm not, I'm not happy with them. So uh, anyway, my baseball uh, question for you, and of course you're going to shock me because you're going to have the answer. Uh, the gentleman, the two guys that combined for the no-hitter, Cincinnati the other night are not given the no hitter. I don't know if you knew that or not. I do know that. Um, do you know why? 
because they don't pitch nine innings. Yeah, that's a new they rule. Pitched eight. That's a new rule. I, I, Happened, I, I believe it was Andy Hawkins with the uh, um, uh, had the same uh, same experience with the White Sox, where the White Sox were no hit, but they won. And uh, Andy Hawkins was pitching for the Yankees, and this was probably fifteen to twenty years ago now. And uh, and he didn't get the no hitter either because he only went eight innings. Do you? Uh, that that was. I think the score of that game was like five to nothing. He had like two errors in the outfield on a windy day or something. You know, same same night. Um, the uh, white what was it? The White Sox game. I think the Yankees only got two hits against them, but scored five runs. Yeah. The uh, yeah. This is the uh, and and they didn't uh, and the Sox didn't make errors. They had no errors. Right. Uh, it says uh, it took twenty three years for another pitcher to lose a no hitter. Kerbin Hawkins lost a pitcher's duel to Greg Hibbard. Remember that name? Hawkins, yeah, pitched, sure. yeah, Hawkins pitched extremely well for the Yankees, but windy conditions derailed his no-hitter in the eighth inning. Bases were loaded after Sammy Sosa reached down an error, and Hawkins walked two. And a couple of errors by left fielder Jay Liritz <laughs> and right fielder Jesse Barfield. Uh, Jim Liritz, yeah, I remember yeah. him. And right fielder Jesse Barfield allowed the White Sox to score four runs without generating a hit. White Sox won four zip. Um... So the, the error that Sosa reached down was originally ruled a hit, and then the original, original official score re- reneged and uh, made, gave it a, made it an error, which is interesting. Uh, well, it, it's it, it happens, you know, pretty routinely, but when it happens in a no hitter, um, it, it always does raise an eyebrow or two. Yeah. Um, the uh, what was the, who was the guy who missed the no hitter when uh, and the Cubs with the third baseman uh, was a it was a questionable error versus hit. Who the hell was that? It was, uh, was Madlock the third baseman? No, uh, the guy who came up for a while, he looked real good. Big, tall, good-looking guy. 6'4", something, something. And he, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I, did, I never played third base for the Cubs. Sorry. Tom. Yes, yes. And he, uh, but he, he had a big first year, and they tried to turn him into a power hitter, and it totally wrecked his swing, and he never came back. What the hell is his name? Oh, I'll, think, I'll think of it. But uh, anyway... So they they changed the rule, and they, you have to pitch nine innings or more, which is really strange, because they had, according to this one article I've got here, um, the uh, tired of talking about inflation. So we stopped that for at least a half hour and talk about baseball. They they took off uh, this rule is in uh, thirty one years ago. So where the hell would that be? Um, Nineteen ninety one or whatever it was. They're, they took away. Uh, 36 no-hitters for rain-delayed no-hitters. And, uh, but the, the one this one is, is if you, if you are the visiting team and you throw a no-hitter and you, somehow somebody scores and you're losing one to nothing, the home team doesn't bat the ninth time. So it's not considered a no-hitter. So it's not considered a nine-inning no-hitter. Yeah. I, I don't see how it's your fault if it rains. I don't see well. It isn't a matter of assigning fault. It's a matter of uh, um, completing the accomplishment as it's defined. And uh, how many, you know, how many no hitters uh, are lost in the ninth inning? Uh, I, I would guess that that number is a uh, some multiple of the number of no hitters that actually happened. Well, here's the the stringent definition eliminated thirty six no hitters from the books that were shortened by rain, darkness, or other reasons as well as uh, two losing efforts by the away team in which the home team doesn't bat in the bottom of the ninth. So it, 
It's only two times. <laughs> well, now it's three in the history of uh, of baseball. <clears throat> so you think uh, it was all that important to change that rule? Well, it was important to change it going forward. Whether you had to do it retroactively or not is debatable. Um, I guess the uh, well, then <clears throat> then you couldn't have had a no hitter in any of those seven inning double header games last year. So there, That's correct. You couldn't have had one. Yeah. That, that is absolutely correct. Hey, by the way, I thought they were going to dump the uh, the guy starting at second base the next innings. Wasn't that a, an absolute foregone conclusion? All the guys back. Uh, yeah, I thought it was, and I was surprised the first time I saw it this year. But it, it is a rule. It may be. It may still go away. Um, but um, uh, th- that was one that I, I really thought was uh, was going to be uh, a one and done, and um, apparently. I, I don't know if they were uh, they they just didn't get the rule change in in time or if it's still up in the air. Yeah, I thought when all spring they talked about the, that that was going away. Did they? I thought they didn't do it in spring training. I thought I think I watched a couple of those games, but you know what? They don't do next extra innings in spring training, do they? Yeah, they just didn't play extra yeah, innings at all, so yeah. it didn't matter. I guess it but, didn't matter. You know, it, it, I don't especially like the rule. I don't hate it either. It's you know, it, it does expedite things. But maybe maybe I don't like it because I cheer for teams that don't execute very well when they get when they get a leadoff double in general. So why why would I like the rule now? Well, it also is. I think you run the risk of people scoring one run every inning for the next five instead of none. Oh yeah, I mean the the big thing is uh, is to still have your rally. You you must get that run home. Yeah, and that that's that's part one of the uh, uh, of the rule is you really have to get that run home and but part two is you you need to pile on a second run or more yeah because you figure the other guys are going to score them too unless they're lame which today a lot of people are but which means if you have to pile on the other run with a, a traditional rally then why have the rule in the first place um yeah you know what, what's kind of striking i don't know i guess i have nothing to compare it to no statistics nothing to back me up as usual it seems like a lot of these guys that are coming out of AAA, is it because they all went to college? They're coming out of AAA with very little AAA experience, but it's not like they're 20 years old. Some of them are 22, 23. Is it just they they came out of college and spent a year in AA and then AAA and they're doing better and they're bringing them right up? Is it? Well, it, it is that there are a lot more guys coming out of college, but it is most college players go into Class A. They, you know, they still start out at Class A. They may start out at the higher level. You know, right now there's two levels of Class A, so they have this high A, low A uh, concept, which they might as well call it A, B, C, and D, but or you know, or whatever. But or uh, but um, plus, there's but one before. No right? matter. They usually start them out a little bit higher with the experience, but um, but they'll progress through pretty quickly, or maybe not so quickly. Um, so how how old was Chris Bryant when he came? Uh, uh, came up to the Cubs like twenty four. I I think he came from. Uh, I don't think he was even a he, year. He ago. went to college. He went. To, I think San Diego. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he uh, spent a year in the minors. Did he? Oh yeah, he did. Okay, well then the next year, that's right. The next year they they stuck him at AAA for six weeks to screw up his year of his year of uh, uh, arbitration, which he never forgot and what, couldn't wait to leave the Cubs. Well, he, yeah, he, he held a grudge, and you know I'm pretty good at holding a grudge, so I understand. I, I do too. I, uh, 
It just seems like the uh, the it's a lot different when, when there were when there were less teams. You know, go figure. Uh, yeah, but here's I just pulled Bryant up, so he uh, spent um, uh, twenty thirteen at uh, Boise, Daytona, and Daytona, as well as the Arizona uh, Arizona League, which I assume was the fall league. Um, then twenty fourteen at Iowa. So yeah, he gets he, he, uh, Iowa t- and Tennessee. So uh, that's double A and triple A. And um, then 2015, he started at Iowa, as you just mentioned, and then came up to the Cubs. So we really spent apparently two years in the minor leagues, and that's a pretty fast track for a college player. But he was one of the highest, you know, one of the earliest picks in the draft. Oh yeah, he, uh, he was, was picked. Uh, let's scroll back up here and uh, uh, pull up his draft. He was drafted by the Blue Jays. Uh, out of high school and the Cubs with the second pick in the draft so he was more highly touted than most uh, college players so you'll get first round guys I'm, I'm sure I can go find a few others who, uh, who who may have taken four you know the full three four years in the minors just to uh, before they get to the majors well at some of the times the pitchers especially if you're on a good team I'm going back a ways but Mark Pryor uh, didn't he get drafted in whatever May, June, or something, and uh, the dude, the Cubs, shut him down. hadn't He hadn't he already had something like twenty two starts for wherever the hell he was. Yeah, yeah, there was something. He had a lot, you know, a lot playing for USC, and then uh, more. But let's uh, let's go with a um, maybe more typical drafted by rangers in the eighth round of the mlb draft is kyle Hendricks. so if i look at his um minor league stats kyle Hendricks coming out of college in um he spent 2010 he did the uh, summer league or he did a summer league uh dartmouth and let's see when did they uh you know uh, 2011 The, uh, you know, I mean, these guys are all older, so and and they have more pitching experience. And if you if you p- played for a good pitching coach in college, which is not everybody, um, but if you play for a good pitching coach in college, you're going to come in pretty well prepared. You, you know at least how to pitch. Whereas the guys they take out of high school, they uh, they may have in, you know incredible throwing arms, but they don't. Or, or, or I don't know what else you'd throw with your arms. So yeah. I suppose throwing arms is a little redundant. But, um, but nevertheless, you know, they they have to teach them how to how to think about pitching too. They can't just stand, you know, plan to do what they did in high school, which was blow everybody away. Um, yeah, you really, you know, you have to start learning to move the ball. You have to start learning some additional pitches and everything. So you draft a guy out of high school, and it's not unusual for him to take. You know, maybe six or, or or so years to find his way into the majors and still be a really good prospect. Well, it does, and I, uh, it's it really is. Uh, everybody is so different, and their pro- progress is so different. And sometimes people just sort of get it, and then even when they're pretty good, some guys get rattled around, and they try and change stuff and screw themselves back up again. They don't have confidence in their stuff. It's it's you know what did uh, Warren Spahn say? But, 
hitting is all about timing and pitching is all about disrupting the timing which is about as accurate as you can get right um, yeah that, I mean that is uh, the, you know that's that's a perfect comment and that's why you know when you watch a guy like Hendricks when he's doing really well or Maddox or somebody they don't they don't necessarily have the arm of the that some of the others uh, uh, some of the others do but on by the same token they know how to pitch they know how to keep a guy off balance and that is much more uh, much more valuable yeah hey what did you uh Shifting subjects a little bit, the second half hour we'll talk more about the market and the economy, but um, and especially this this Target move and this Walmart move and some of the Netflix moves. And it's a uh, you know obviously I I uh, talk to all kinds of people with the managing money for them and so forth and the different places that I uh, there's only a few that I do that I do business with. Uh, everybody's everybody's customer is like a lot different than other people's customers. I mean, everybody sort of has their style of, I mean, my, my guys traditionally, my guys, the people that I manage money for, were traditional people who uh, maybe heard me on the radio or, or heard of me and would uh, be a couple, come out with their, their 401k and they'd say, all right, uh, we're retiring, you know, let's give the money to somebody we trust, to, you know, and we'll, we want some kind of a protected program, which, you know, I'm very good at. And, uh, and I would get that money, but people would come to a seminar, they'd learn what I was doing, they'd have a pretty good idea of the nomenclature and what I was trying to accomplish. And, uh, but some of the other areas that I'm at, the people are not, not like that at all. They're, they're all good, they're okay, but, the, but that's not, it's funny, Kevin, the difference is they, they think that the, a money manager is supposed, his job is to make sure, like he's, like he's a TV personality or something, like his job is if, well, you should have known Target was going down 47 bucks today, you know, that kind of thing. So there's a lot of slots <clears throat> of in terms of management for these people to go in. I mean, if there's one where it's your international, you know, if you want to be an international exposure, well, I do the protected part, but I talk to everybody like on the other part. And, it, and it's, it's really interesting, Kevin, when you talk, and I'm sure in your business, you have to be wise enough, I'm not going to say smart enough, you have to be wise enough, no matter what you do, there's always a fly in the ointment. There's a combination of things that can mess up your strategy, right? And uh, and you really have to be careful when when you have when you hear people say like this always works or usually works. That's the slipperiest word ever. Usually, and and people they don't anticipate. Uh, you know, maybe I, I just I just learned this because I've been around the block too much. But uh, I mean, the interesting part with this Target and then Netflix and some of these stocks getting hammered, Amazon and so forth. There's a, a lot of people that had some sort of a strategy, and, and people that put the strategy f- for them together, and it made some sense. The idea is, if you want to in, uh, protect a position, right, if you're going to have a position in the spiders, which is the S&P ETF, or in Target, or whatever it is, <clears throat> if you're going to protect that particular position by using put options, in my opinion, you, you well, not my opinion, you have to have protection on that specific Spot. In other words, if I'm going to protect the spiders, I better buy spider puts and not QQQ puts. They're they're both broad broad based indices, but they're not exactly the same. You know what I'm saying, Kevin? And you you could conceivably have a day or a month where one of the indexes is down twenty percent and the other one's down eight. And you don't want to be saying, "Well, I think the Qs are going to go do better than the spiders." Therefore, I'll buy puts on the spiders. If the whole market goes down. 
They'll all go down together, but if they go up, the, the cues are going to do better to spiders. That's not going to work. And uh, and a lot of what, what has happened with some of these stocks is the real high flyers, the Amazon and Netflixes of the world, even Tesla in the last few weeks, people have five or ten of these stocks in their portfolio, and they'll buy protection on, like, the general NASDAQ, which if you pick the the... the, the the arrogance there is, the assumption and the arrogance, which is the same thing, is the five or six stocks that I pick are going to do better than the NASDAQ in general. So even if I, if the market goes in, in the crapo, the five stocks that I have are going to do so good that they won't be unchanged and I'll make money on my puts because the rest of the market will be down. Well, to try and explain to somebody that's A, it may be not work, and by the way, for you to think it's going to work, you're starting from somewhat of an arrogant position. Doesn't make arrogant. I don't mean bad, Kevin. Okay, I mean you're you're starting with the idea that you're right, and the other person's going to be wrong. So when you start from that position, well, now in the last couple of months, that's exactly what's happening to a lot of people that I see in some of these areas. They bought general protection on the market and thought that the Amazon and the Netflixes and maybe name five other stocks that were the real high flyers. There, no matter what happened. The people on TV told them that those are going to be okay even if the market goes down. And the exact opposite's happening. The, the QQQ is down, you know, 20% or 22% and some of those stocks are down 40 and 50 or 70. And it's, and people are wondering, what the hell? Well, what the hell? What the hell? Right? <laughs> I mean. Yeah, well, it's, it, like, there, there are, there aren't very many, uh, industries or areas of business where people are good at risk assessment. Um, and that's you know that's really the exercise that you have to do. Um, as someone who started in the IT world in, 19, in the nineteen seventies, you know, risk assessment was right there. Oh, yeah. But you know, n- not anymore. Uh, you know, in, not not in a lot of other industries where you know. So everything is a reaction rather than um, a plan based on what what I've identified that could go wrong. Well, because maybe you. Should be need to sort of anticipate that. Every, every position you have, no matter what it is in, in, in the market, be it just stocks or or options or whatever, I mean, you, you could say, I want to be neutral to the market, I'm going to pick out the 10 stocks I hate, and I'll be short those, and I'll pick out the st- 10 stocks I like, and I'll be long those. So if, so because yeah, I'm smarter okay, than... And, and good plan now, yeah. okay, let's take that and say, okay, what if? Yeah, what if? What now if? you start asking your what if questions. And if you can't, you know, if you can't come up with a strategy for dealing with the what ifs, then you got to question why you're why you're in that, uh, why you made that choice. Well, the, the what ifs. What if the ones you don't like are the ones that are going to go up, and the ones you do like are the ones that are going to go down? <laughs> right. Well, and so you know, what if? Yeah. You know, that that's a really good what if. And look, what ifs. I mean, you think about it. Think about it in, in my world, in the supply chain world. Um, you know, you would you have said? Would you have ever said, "What if we have a global pandemic and they shut everything down?" You probably wouldn't have. No. Um, it would. That would be nice to think that somebody had uh, plans for that, but they, you know, not not likely. On the other hand, is would you have had some kind of? Uh, um, would you have assessed the risk of, uh, of saying having a really really bad flu season that takes out a third to half of your uh, employees at one time? Does that ever happen, Tom? Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, it does. Let's talk about does that. Does it happen all the time, every year? No, but is it guaranteed to happen? Yes. 
So anybody who is doing any kind of risk planning is going to have a plan for what to do when that happens. And so, you know, you go through this whole thing. I mean, right down to, hey, look, I have a power outage for three hours. Um, and, uh, and you know, what am I going to do uh, with my plant there? Is it, you know, for that, is it worth buying a generator? Or is it uh, only worth buying a generator if I have a really bad blizzard and I'm going to be in powers down in my area for uh, four days straight? Uh, okay, you know, you can start deciding, you know, how likely is it to happen and what's the impact of it happening. It's not a hard intellectually challenging exercise it's just a a matter of uh, rigorous exercise and if you do it and you do it well then you know you're ready for that well that same kind of rigors it seems to me would apply to investing well sure i mean we're going to rigorously go to break here though we'll be right back sp futures now down 30 after a big rally yesterday we're down 30 as a futures down 129 again target's probably the big culprit here be right back stacks and jacks how much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630 401 8810 or search us on the web at cognoshr.com. Cognos HR, innovation in human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation of the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. 
But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks, jocks, and jocks. stocks, and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Welcome back, welcome back, stocks and jocks. I'm Tom Aliani on the board. SB futures uh, down 27. Nasdaq futures down 113. We're down. Pretty heavy here. A lot of this has to do with Target being down uh, 21%, 22% now, down 47 bucks. Saying that this is right after Walmart yesterday, and Lowe's is down almost 5 bucks. They're down 2.5%. Everybody's talking about how supply chain and inflation and uh, delivery costs and you name it. So it's everything we've, we've been talking about, well, everybody's been talking about, not just us. Uh, Dow Futures down 178. Over in Europe, um, we've got, see, what other stocks we have moving here? We got Tesla down 11 bucks. Uh, at, well, 750, so it's right between that. was traded 700 and it traded 810 the other day, so it's kind of right in the middle. Um, over in Europe, we've got the uh, uh, DAX only down 24. These guys were all up huge yesterday, as were we. Uh, FTSE down 18.2%, CAC around down 16.2. So they're not they're not uh, having as much of a hissy fit over the target as we are here. Uh, Asia, Nikkei up 251.9%, Shanghai down 7.2%, Hang Seng up 41.2%. So uh the uh, data over there over came out overnight shows that uh, Japan's economy shrank less than expected uh so everybody looks like they're shrinking in the first quarter and everybody's saying we can't have a recession well we're one quarter into it I don't know what everybody's thinking there uh bonds up two basis points two can't get any closer really any 2.999 to three percent uh the bond uh, up two basis points 1.07 the highest we've seen that in years. Japan, uh, same thing, 0.25. They, they, they never move. Yesterday, the big rally. Dow up 431. S&P up 80. That's two, full 2%. NASDAQ up 321. That's a full 2.75%. Oil up again, 187, 114.27. Uh, now everybody's convinced China's going back to work. So they're going to start using oil again. So oil's got to go even higher. That's the story. Brent up a buck, a buck 50, 113.43. Uh, natural gas up five cents, eight thirty-five. Again, real high. I uh, heard yesterday that every state now in the country is uh, <clears throat> over four dollars on gas. Um, our Bob actually is. Well, it's unchanged today, three ninety-three. Gold down seven sixty. Everything's going up in the world except gold. Eighteen eleven. Silver up down sixteen cents, twenty-one fifty-nine. Copper down three cents, four twenty. And we've got Bitcoin down three twenty-one at twenty-nine thousand. 795, so ducking under that 30,000 number again. A lot of stuff there, Eliane. What do you got for us? Traffic weather reports? Rain. Yes, it's going to be a pretty gloomy day today. Good morning, everyone. Currently 6.39 a.m. on May 18th. Uh, let's start with sports. Let's just talk about some baseball. White Sox beat the Royals last night 3-0. Uh, Cubs beat the Pirates last night 7-0. And Diamondbacks lost to the Dodgers last night 6-7. Looking at weather in Chicago, we do have a gloomy day for us today with uh, going to be some pretty massive thunderstorms a little bit later in the day. It is starting to hit pretty hard right now. We're currently sitting at 52 degrees uh, with a high of 68 and a low of 50. And Phoenix, let me refresh my page here, currently clear 75 with a high of 100 and a low of 73. Looking at traffic in Chicago this morning, surprisingly not too bad. 
We have traffic eastbound on 290 between St. Charles all the way to downtown, approaching the 290 and 94 construction intersect. Uh, traffic westbound 290 between Costner and Route 12 West. Traffic eastbound on I-90 between Lee Street and Lawrence and westbound between Lawrence and West Higgins. Traffic eastbound 94 between Addison and Canalport. Traffic westbound 94 between 130th and West North Avenue and traffic westbound on 55 between East Main Street and South Damon. Back to you, Chief. Um, the market uh, said our SPs are now 31, so we're leaking here a little bit. So, Kevin, give me a quick story on how uh, when, when you when you use the word usually in something something uh, sometimes it can it can catch you the the first gulf war there was a for those that don't know the the S, the, the first broad base index was the Kansas City value line of all things and they tra- started trading at the uh, Kansas City uh, exchange right so then the S&P got all in a hissy so they decided we're going to have the S&P 500 future and uh and so the, the CBOE was late to the party, and they said, well, we're going to make our own index, and we're going to call it the OEX, which really was the Options Exchange Index, the CBOE's own. And so they took the top 100 stocks on the CBOE, so you, uh, they traded here, option-wise. So you didn't have Chevron, you didn't have, uh, I think, DuPont. There was, there was, so it wasn't the, the top 100 stocks, it was the top 100 minus maybe 10. Um, anyway... So the Amex is really late to the party. So they come out with this thing called the XMI, which was the 20 biggest stocks that traded on the Amex. At the time, there were stocks. American Express was one of them, Chevron. was Stocks that the options had moved to the Amex from the CBOE. Anyway, long story. Uh, too too late to be, keep it short. So when the Gulf War started, a, a kind of a strange phenomenon happened, Kevin, where the, the volatility levels in the XMI, the index, was higher than in the individual stocks. All right, I'm all over everybody's head here, but bear with me. So, the, the, which never happens because the, the, I mean, the chance of a a stock going up or down forty percent or twenty percent, like Target's doing today, is generally much higher than that of an index going because that's the whole idea of diversification, right? And for an index to drop twenty five percent, I mean, you need a you know, you need an asteroid hit New York or a war or something. Um, so, we decided I was I was talking about this with my buddy Dr. J, and we we put some money in a separate account. And I say, you know what, let me let me get long premium positions in all 20 of the stocks, and we'll figure out how much premium we can sell on the XMI. So we should be able to gain the difference. Plus, if we get any outsider liar moves in the stocks, we're going to do real well. So without going into detail, we did long premium positions, which means, for instance, we would buy 200 calls, sell 10,000 shares of stock. All right, so if the thing runs up, you have an extra... 100 calls that become stock, and if the thing runs down, your calls run out of gas and your short stock all the way down to zero, but you're protected. Your, 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 your big danger there is time decay. Nothing happened and the thing just sits there and your calls just warp on the tree. So anyway, we do this. The Gulf War goes on and ups and downs and so forth. We end up doing really, really well. Like, really well. I mean, uh, so I came in on a Saturday. I, 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 gotta, I gotta do the post-mortem here. Funny part, Kevin, if I would have missed three stocks, we'd have gotten killed because we made almost all our money in three stocks, one of them being American Express, because you can imagine how that got murdered during the Gulf War. Um, if I would have if I had not done American Express and just said, well, 19 is good enough instead of all 20, uh, we would have probably lost a little bit. If I'd have missed two other ones, we'd have gotten clobbered. 
So you really do have to be specific sometimes when you do stuff. And, and when you're talking about the supply chain thing, there's probably a difference if you're doing just-in-time inventory at an auto dealer and you're talking about gas caps where you can dra- drive the car in their parking lot and wait two days for the gas cap. But if the tires are late, you're stuck on the line, right? So you, you, yeah. I mean, but then what do you do? You don't have the craning capability to crane the cars into the parking lot, I don't think. So you got to sit there and shut the whole place down waiting for tires, right? Well, and, and, you know, one of the lessons that they learned of just-in-time is that you still need some just-in-case inventory, uh, and especially for the automakers uh, and, and computer chips, because the lead time to get that ramped up the way they needed it uh, is is just so long that it stalled them, that e- even when they, you know, they, they just couldn't get it back on track uh, quickly enough and still haven't. So, um, you know, this is something that... Um, you know, Toyota, well, all of the Japanese manufacturers learned way back, what was it, uh, 2010 or so, when uh, when the, we had that tsunami. Yeah. And they suffered a similar pain, but a lot of the um, other automakers around the world did not take notice of, uh, uh, of the lesson that um, Toyota and Nissan and so on had to learn the hard way. Well, Kevin, what, when you look at the... And, and, I, and I go back and say, if you were doing risk assessment, what would you do? What you know? Would you would you actually cite uh, the inability to get microchips as as a possibility? And I would say, you know, if you say how likely is it, eh, you know, hard to say, but uh, you, you can you can attach a likelihood to it. But what's the impact? It's severe, and you know, I I think you're seeing that in a lot of different industries now, right now. I mean, they're they're saying supply chain problems and. You know this kind of thing. I mean, look at look at the um, um, you know uh, baby formula, and uh, I mean, heck, we've we've known that there was a, a formula shortage since November, and it's been severe since the spring. And you know, the sort of typical Biden administration, they they shut down that plant over here in Sturgis, um, and uh, and unfortunately, Sturgis couldn't get what it needed to recover because uh, <laughs> because. The uh, um, the local company, the Michigan producer for the uh, parts for the ovens that they needed to upgrade uh, or replace, um, never reopened after the pandemic. They got closed and they never uh, they never got back on their feet. So you know we have all of this kind of stuff cascading through it, and nobody, when we closed all those businesses, said what would happen if what would ha- what happens if this one goes out of business? What happens if that one goes out of business? Now, you know, maybe, uh, um, you know, maybe someone, uh, you know, uh, the uh, vulture capitalists who were able to uh, swoop in and, and uh, snap up a lot of businesses that wouldn't have survived, maybe they had a good understanding of it, but nobody in government did. That's, uh... So, you know, we finally got an agreement to uh, get the uh, uh, formula plant reopened this week, which is sort of typical Biden administration. They wait until everybody's screaming at them to finally come up with something, but... Um, uh, but you know, it, it's it, it's just a, a really, really you know dumb process that we have in so many areas. Um, Kevin, I'm going to say that it's. I'm going to take it from a different direction. I, I'm going to. I don't think anybody, you know, no matter who, unless you, uh, you know, it's funny. This is about how stupid this is to inject this. How many years they've they've been. Uh, They've been pulling appendix out of people, whatever, whatever they felt like, it, and they said you never needed it. Well, no, just last week somebody sent me this article about how the new the new thought is 
you actually do need your appendix, and it does it does a job for something about I don't know, cleaning up something something. I don't know. Anyway, but the story being is is we don't really even know every part of the human body what it does yet, and 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 those kinds of things. I don't think the people that are in charge. I, I don't know if they. I go. I waffle back and forth on this. I think some people do know, Kevin, and they work it to their advantage, and other people don't know. But, I mean, when, when everything started to shut down, the first thing that crossed my mind is, maybe because I talked to you too much, the first thing that crossed my mind was, someplace, somewhere, they're going to shut down some poor bastard, and he makes a spring that nobody else makes, that if the spring doesn't go into here, the next thing doesn't get made, and the next thing doesn't get made, and nobody even knows about this guy, because we, we forgot to look. And I think a lot of that happened, but I don't understand how people don't anticipate those kinds of things. I mean, I, I get a little feel for it because... Well, some of, some of the, this, Tom, is I mean, it's twofold. Are there businesses that don't anticipate it? Yeah, there's too many of those. And and they they all got exposed. But does government anticipate it? Hell no. I mean, if, if we had, you know, we had the supply chain issues were there when Trump was still president. Yeah. And they just kept getting worse and worse and worse throughout 2021. Okay. Well, who's responsible for a lot of that? All the, all of the transportation stuff. That's Pete Buttigieg. Go back and look at every single interview with Pete Buttigieg in January, February, and March of 2021 when he was new in office and he was a hot interview. Everybody wanted to talk to, uh, to this, you know, young rising star. And did he ever talk about supply chain issues? Uh-uh. No. All he ever talked about was um, uh, 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 climate change and electronic vehicles. That was his focus. The, the issue with government in many cases is you get these ideologues. They're not pragmati- uh, pragmatic at all. They're pursuing a different agenda than the rest of us, and it's only when something comes and bites them in the butt that we have, uh, that, that we have any kind of action. Well, the thing that I... I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say agree or disagree. I'm gonna add, add and subtract. I'm, I'm agreeing with everything, but it's, it's so weird, Kevin. I mean, I, if, you, if you work on a project, and again, a, a railroad car, there's ten thousand parts in the damn thing. You know, it's, it's not like it's a small piece of equipment. Um, I can't imagine putting together a schedule, which I used to do when we went out for bids and stuff, and all of a sudden giving somebody the normal bill of whatever that goes in railroad cars, and the, you know, there's, there's special electric switches you know of course some machine is tested like four million times somebody's thumb it and they're still good i mean they're not like a switch in your house or in your car they're designed to last like a century i can't imagine calling up 50 vendors that you've used for 50 years and all of a sudden uh joe's joe joe's switch manufacturing oh joe joe went out with the covid oh really well who else makes this stuff nobody i mean what what if out of the hundred people you call you get 15 calls like that but on the other and, hand, and, and in fact, that's what happened. But, but I also think, Kevin, that some people are when you get these combination industries, I get I get real suspicious when you're down to two or three chip manufacturers, and all of a sudden you're down to three or four or five formula manufacturers, and somebody has a hiccup. Kevin, the the, the ability to raise the price by twenty twenty five percent in a shorted situation that goes right to the bottom line is an enormous amount of money so the but the thought of somebody when you say a lot of the congressmen don't know i agree with you there but when these bills are put together and things are put together i think a lot of these people do know what's going on and if if you all of a sudden 
I mean, I go back to the... Oh, I, I, Tom, uh, let's say a lot of the people who write the bills for the Congress people <laughs> well, <laughs> know, I mean, I, know it, damn well what's going on. Because this, the, we're, we're going to ride this chip shortage. You and I will be, you know, you'll be a great-grandfather, for God's sake. And, and I'm going to say right now they're, they're producing more chips than they ever did in 2020. Well, they, they may be. Um, getting them into the country is a little bit of a challenge. But, but it's also it, the... That, ex- just, that, that becomes a matter of expense. Because chips are are small and can be shipped in bulk via air, so you can you can make that happen. But but I'm saying um, right now, we're if you're a CEO, you, you could be off in, in, in Thailand in, in the bars with all the hookers for ninety percent of your time, and your company does lousy, and you say, "Oh man, a supply chain." It was it wasn't that I was in a bar in Thailand with the hookers. I mean, it's, it's become the convenient excuse, and I just wonder how often is it really true. Oh, I think it's often true, Tom. I think it is, too. How many times have I told you, everybody keeps saying, oh, this will, maybe this will get better over the course of the year. It's not getting better for a long time. But, I mean, we, also, we don't know that... When one gets out of whack, it takes a long time to recover. When they uh, uh, a whole bunch of interdependent supply chains, and, and I don't even like the term supply chain as much as I prefer, like supply networks, because yep. that's really what they are. Um, it, when, when, it just, when it gets out of equilibrium, getting it back is a really really long term process. So, yeah, I think it's going to be there. Is it the is it the loan excuse? No. What what has to happen is that you know, people need to well and, and you're starting to see it actually. People need to bring more of their sourcing back into uh uh into the United States so that they have reliable access. That takes a lot of time, but they should do it. And you know, I I'm fine if somebody wants to blame supply chains. I just want to hear what they're doing about it. Well, but that's you can't. the issue, and and I think that's probably what the market wants too, is to understand that uh, you know where someone is saying this is a big problem, but I have it, you know we we we're on it and we're going to fix it, um, and that's the part you're not hearing when a lot of people are talking about their earnings issues. Well, also the the as you know, I've been a risk taker, obviously a trader and an entrepreneur my whole life. I wouldn't do it any differently. Oh, it probably wasn't the smartest move. <laughs> um, that, that's another old story, but. I think I was just going to work for a bank, Kevin, and after four or five mergers, retired with like $90 bazillion without ever doing anything. Why didn't you do that? You could have done that. <laughs> well, yeah, we, could, we both could have done it. Anyway, but the, uh, just now this week, though, if you were a, uh, well, investment person, or you had a bunch of dough, a lot of scratches, we say, in the south side, and all of a sudden we see a, a, a hole in the supply chain, distribution system, as you say, God, we're not getting enough of these things. And, you know, we'll get somebody like I used to be able to do and say, okay, what's it going to cost to put a plant together and put some of this stuff out there? You know, how much would we have to borrow? How much are we going to make? What's, when can we get this thing up and running? Blah, 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 blah. And we can, I, on a few pieces of paper, I'd still use the old paper, and not the computer stuff, but nobody to read it. Um, yeah, we, you still got ledger pads? Uh, I'm going to buy one this weekend from income taxes. My brother's all pissed at me for not using the computer, but I'm only got, <clears throat> when I use Excel, i got to add it up with a, with a calculator. I don't know how to add the, damp- add the damp- All right. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a different conversation yeah. we need to have. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, anyway, I'll try to counsel you. <laughs> anyway, I mean, I, I bet I bet we could still do that. Then all of a sudden, in the midst of the thing, we're about ready to say go, and you hear, and I'm not blaming this on Biden or anybody. The question comes up: Oh, by the way, are you going to lower all these tariffs again from China and like open up the door again because we need this crap? Well, first thing I'm going to do is say, "Hey, guys." Wait a minute. Let's see if this stuff we're making is being is on this tariff list. What's going to happen if uh, if the door gets wide open again? And what if these guys change their mind all of a sudden? All of a sudden, 
the thing where we want to make might be the first one through the door. Then what? Yeah, and you know that's being discussed right now. Yeah, you know it's yeah. being discussed. I mean, then what? They they have that on the table, um, and at this point, I don't think it's really a trade issue because they've already killed the uh, um, that whole process that they have for um, uh, you know investigating um, uh, intellectual property theft. Uh, that that's already been discontinued. So now. You know what? What leverage do we have with the Chinese at a time when we are nervous about them? Uh, you know, going to uh, uh, going into Taiwan, um, and, and they're ready to give that one away. Uh, so, and you know, I, I don't know if that's you know how how that fits into grand strategies and not, but uh, uh, but it, it is certainly something that Taiwan or that the Chinese really really want, and it and and at the same time we're talking about. Bringing uh, more uh, sourcing and more manufacturing back into the United States, and then we're going to turn around and lift the tariffs, which are going to <laughs> have the opposite effect. Well, I mean, I, I know Kevin in World War II, we switched over from auto manufacturing to planes and everything, and and everybody was, you know, well, there still were people that liked the all money dollar for sure, but everybody was pretty patriotic about it. And the big firms did it, and all those kinds of things. In World War One, I, I think they nationalized the railroads, didn't they? But I don't. This particular thing, if, if all of a sudden you and I were making widgets and they came by and said, we need you to make this or, or surgical masks or something, you know what, Kevin? I'm as patriotic than more than most, I think. I want money up front because I don't trust these guys to not change their mind tomorrow. Why should that, why should that be on us? I mean, uh, or at least something to where if, if three weeks from now they say, oh, no, we're going to buy, buy them from China, that I... Uh, you know, I at least get some of my money back to go back to make what I was making before. I, I don't trust these guys as far as I can throw them. Yeah, so there is there is nothing holistic about um, our, our approach to foreign policy at the moment. There is not, and, and hasn't been for quite some time. There's, you know, to that, to uh, building a, a stronger manufacturing economy, uh, you know, all of it. Some of it's happening on its own. Uh, and, and maybe it needs uh, the market, but we definitely need government to, to be at least not get in the way. Well, I and think that one of the reasons... Unfortunately, that the, that's not what's happening. I think that one of the reasons why the oil prices are here is that normally, well, I mean, you see these up and downs in oil, you know, surely in our whole lifetime. And what happens is it goes down, people close up rigs, the investments, nobody, even know, you know, whatever we're importing it, nobody, demand for gas isn't as high as we thought, whatever it was, Prices go down, and all of a sudden, you lose production. And then all of a sudden, we, it ticks up a little bit. Demand, and we don't, no, we don't have enough. And, and in the short term, oil is very inelastic. But then, after six months or a year, two years, you're back overproducing again, and it's it's this kind of cycle. But this time, I don't see the the rig counts rocketing up at all as fast as I mean the the seeds of the current oil shortage. They can say what they want about the administration, which didn't help, by the way. But they, but the the real the seeds of it came when the, when oil was down at twenty eight bucks and every day on CNBC and every place all I did would tell you how the the rig count was going down 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 and you don't just put the rig in a in a in a warehouse and pull the thing out the next time the price gets up they were selling those rigs overseas they're gone you know so all of a sudden the price goes up again you don't just but I think there's a real reluctance on people to start up again, thinking that six months from now they're going to change a rule and they're going to get clobbered again by, by a change yeah, in policy. I agree with you, Tom. I, I, I think that's, that's absolutely true. Uh, and it, it's, it's a shame, because, but you, you can't, again, you cannot have you know, a policy based on the whim of the moment. 
um, it it really is. It, you know, we need to say here is where we're going long term, and the part of the problem is that we have lurched back and forth politically on on extreme uh, more extreme levels. You know, certainly, there, you know, if if you were going left and right, and you were alternating Democrats and Republican administrations, but they were pretty moderate, one to the next would not be such a radical change. But what we're doing is we're coming in and every four years now making radical changes. <laughs> well, it's actually, so how do you plan around that? Well, it could be well, one thing. I, I, I know for sure, Kevin. Uh, I don't have that much time, but I, I, we don't. You don't need this massive change in Congress every two years. Whoever it is, then shuts whatever the president wants to do out for two years. Then you change the president, and the first thing he does is get rid of. 100 executive orders that the old guy did and put 100 of his in because that's no way to govern. It's not way to, we're designed. I know that whatever it is, whoever wins, that's not the formula for success, it appears to me. No, it, it, it is not. And executive orders, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know why Congress didn't start challenging them a long time ago saying, you know, because they're the only ones that really have standing to tr- uh, take it to the courts and, and say, no, that's our purview and, and uh, you have the executive branch encroaching on our purview. Um, I, I, I think it's because when they, you know, they, they like having, you know, when they do have the majority, they like having the majority and they don't want to rock the boat with the president. The, the problem with that, though, is, is, is exactly what you're describing. We, uh, you know, we, we are therefore given to every, every presidential election has it. Whereas if what we really said was, yeah, uh, you, you don't, you don't have a friendly Congress that is willing to, uh, um, implement your plan fully, Okay, go out and win the Congress next time, but instead we do it executive orders. I am fine, frankly, with Congress blocking the either side of the aisle uh, administration from doing too much because, and they don't do too much damage either. And and it does, and we don't lurch back and forth as much. Um, and if that means we don't implement all kinds of new stuff, so be it. Oh uh, yeah, I would. Uh, right, we got a dash. What well, Powell said. That he wouldn't hesitate to raise interest rates. How do you, can you hesitate when you've already hesitated? He doesn't have the stomach for it. He's going to raise them a little bit, and then uh, uh, and then if it if it looks like it's going to uh, cause any kind of severity uh, of recession, he's going to back it off. He's going to back it off anyway. Well, um, and, and say he did. You know, it's it's like I'm going to say I'm fighting it, but nah, he ain't going to do it. I would agree. SP futures down 33 now, and as if he's down 144. Target's still the main uh, culprit. That's down fifty bucks. Down, it's almost twenty four percent. That's a widely held stock. That's a big ouch. We'll be right back. Stocks and jacks. This self directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. 
Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. You are out of control! Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, Homer Broadcasting Stocks and Jocks. Tom Howe. Eliani on the board, S&P futures down on 31, NASDAQ futures down 140. This is not, we were up a lot more than that yesterday, but still it's reaching almost 40% retracement at this point, uh, which isn't, which isn't all that good. Um, do we have Mr. John Flanagan? Yes, you do, Tom. Good morning. Thank you for piling in. I forgot all about Russell being on Deplane. Deplane. He's coming, he's coming into Chicago? He's, he's coming, he took the family to Spain, uh, for the week. Oh, weekend. that's right, yes. And they're on the, uh, and uh, so maybe he'll uh, fill in for you on Thursday. Um, they'll give you some time off. You're tired of talking to me. Uh, hey, what do you what do you make of? Uh, I'm just looking up here the uh, the amount of shares outstanding in some of these stacks. Uh, the uh, this, this Target news this morning is really something. I mean, that or the, I mean, I they they're having problems with deliveries and supply chain and all the other excuses. But I got the stock down fifty one bucks down. It's almost twenty five percent, and that's a uh, my God, you know, and we've got um, Am- Amazon has. Uh, I'm looking here at Amazon. These guys were. I mean, again, they came from they came from these these prices, but again, uh, John, I know everybody thinks I'm absolutely stark raving mad when I say when the market goes up and it goes down to right where it started. More there's more money lost on the way down and made on the way up, and I think people have no idea what I'm talking about there. But trust me, trust me on this one. The Walmart was 160. One hundred sixty dollars and seventy-seven cents on the twenty-first of April. So here we are, the eighteenth of May. Call it a month later, and the stock is—it's uh, down again this morning, two ninety to one twenty-eight forty-five. So that's essentially what thirty thirty-two bucks. And the, and the thing is, they've got five hundred and eight million shares outstanding. So, well, God's sake, seventeen billion dollars out of out of a market cap. 
That's those are huge numbers. <laughs> those are huge numbers. And, you know, these are, this is off people's sheets. I mean, there's people. I mean, it's got to be an amazingly widely held stock. I think traded 35 hours forever. So, it, I mean, it's a lot of your population, a lot of people. And when, if you had, you know, a 1,000 shares of Amazon for $35 years ago and just kept it the whole way, maybe you've actually taken a margin loan on it. Maybe you've bought other stock. Maybe you bought Target stock. I mean, you know, saying this this is on people's sheets, and this, when this kind of wealth drops like that, even though you can say, well, what's the big deal? It was, you know, 130 in, uh, in February. Well, a lot, a lot of stuff happens on the way up and then on the way down. And the weird part, John, is if somebody bought it at 130, and we're talking about Amazon now, Walmart, sorry, and, uh, well, uh, in, in March at 130 and sold it at 160, he's got to pay capital gains tax on 30 bucks, correct? Well, if you bought it at 160 and now you puke it out at 130, which you can't even do because it's under 130, but if you just say 130 to make it round, uh, you get to take $3,000 off for the rest of your life and you better, you, you better become uh, one of these people that are immortal because it's going to take you a long time at 3000 a year. And the government refuses to change that number ever. And oh, by the way, if you, you know, if you used it for like a margin loan or something on, and on a target, you know, you got a problem. I mean, there's this wealth. I mean, there's people who are going to get their sheets this morning. They're going to look at their Schwab account or their PTI account or whatever. I don't think we have a lot of people at Walmart, but um, if we did, there's going to be some client that had, you know, had a thousand shares of, of Target yesterday, and now he's fifty-two grand down from there. You know, it's it's real money. It's real loss, and it's not. You know, you don't want some buffoon on TV to say, "Well, well, the stock's down," but. Look at the people that they're selling here. There's money to put in another stack. There's not money there. It's gone. <laughs> right? Right. And, you know, the, the, the cascading effect, and you, you probably can, can speak to this better than I can, but when you have shakeouts like this and you know, formerly relatively safe stocks are starting to, to crumble you know, little by little, all of a sudden, you, you, like you say, you look at you know prices a month ago, like what the heck's going on? But that that's, has cascading effects throughout the market too. The, the people are now readjusting all of their, you know, ideas about why they invest and you know how much they think they have or how much that they expect to have or how much they need to have. And it isn't it doesn't translate into oh well we'll take this money and cut our losses and go into something else that's more secure. I really don't think that's the kind of you know signaling we're getting at all. It's, it's like well. Am I, do I get out completely, and then what? Do, do I get out strategically? But I don't just put the money back in. I, 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 that isn't the, that isn't a solution to anything right now. Well, but the but the, the money is it, there's uh, and then, and then you're going to hear people say, "Well, this is one." I mean, I, I very rarely uh, at times like this, though, Janet. I get I have to be a little more stringent, I think, because the difference between the way a, a trader mentality is and and this is what, to be perfectly honest, confuses my clients all the time. Is if somebody bought a stack at fifty and it's trading at a hundred, and we have a conversation about maybe protecting it, maybe they have a concentration issue or something. Uh, you know, it, it, it all depends on the person. That's why you you, you never want to give any kind of advice on the air because you don't you don't know the person, right. right? I mean, I had an issue with a client this week. He's allegedly opened up an account. I think he is, but he wants me to give him. All these advice. What about this stack? What about that stack? I said, you know, 
when you become a client, <laughs> and I can see your stuff, and I see how old you are, and I have much, how much money you have, and if you're still working, when, when I can see all that stuff, I'll be happy to help you. But I'm, I'm not about to lob them out there when I when I don't know all that stuff, and, uh, and it, it, it's just not what I'm. I, first of all, I'm, I'm not supposed to do that as a, as a registered person. But even if it wasn't a quote rule, I still wouldn't do that. I mean, I mean, you, you, you got to ask me, well, what do you think about this stock like for 2023? I'm worried about it tomorrow. <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking about? I mean, they, they, everybody wants this, you know, we're all soothsayers and they want this, you know, they want the sauce, the entrails. Or where, where was that? In Greece where they used to take the entrails yeah, of the bird? Yeah, the entrails. Uh, bird's entrails. You know, but, so I said, you know, I don't, I don't want to get in that conversation. I mean, if if it's if it's a position that you need protection, I'm good at it. <laughs> That's what I do, you know, you know, type of thing. I said, but it, it's not up to me to say whether targets going to one one twenty or one ninety. You're you're the one who picked target, right? I mean, I, but I, I will say this, John. What it, what, it, what it shows to people is if you're going to be protected, you need to protect the individual stock. I mean, because what if you thought you had the world's best stocks? I went over this a little bit with Kevin. If you had ten stocks that were, you know, total keepers, right? And uh, and you say, well, the market looks kind of wobbly to me, but I love my ten stocks, which a lot of people feel exactly that way. Correct? I mean, they wouldn't be if they weren't good stocks. Why would I have them? I mean, it's 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 an arrogance thing, which is which is interesting because I'm I've been doing this my whole life. I don't have that arrogance. It's been beaten out of me. <laughs> Basically, I don't have it anymore. But, after four days on the floor, my first four days, I traded four stocks. For me to walk in and say that one's going up, that one's going down, that one, and that's what. Come on, John. I mean, if, it, it didn't take long for you to realize. Don't even think like that. You might get some kind of an idea if a stock is really beaten up, and it, you know, and, and and you thought it was a good company, and the whole market's down. You know, and you think it's a little bit of a baby in a bathwater sort of thing. You might lean along that a little bit, or if it really runs up for eight weeks, you might want to lean short a little bit. But other than that. You know, the idea that you can sit there and point fingers at these things and say they're going up and going down. I mean, I, I don't know. Like I say, it's been beaten out of me. Maybe some people can do it. I just can't. But the thing that, that absolutely, when you see this happen, the first thing in your mind should be, these are individual problems. And I can't just take my 10 stocks that are all in the S&P and buy puts on the S&P and think I'm okay. Because my 10 stocks might all go to zero, and the S&P could be swimming along fine. I mean, it... it that, that strategy, if this is teaching anybody anything, it's that that strategy basically sucks. How, can I put any more direct than that? And yep. you know, you got to sort of. I mean, I, uh, I mean, one of our one of our best friends, uh, his dad, who, who uh, passed a while ago, years ago, decided he was going to take all his money. And he just was looking for a big dividend, and he put it in Citigroup before the two thousand and seven fiasco. Well, stock went to like zero. There was no dividend left. <laughs> I mean, no names, but there are people that do stuff like that, John. And the biggest horror, maybe it's helped because in the Chicago area, you know, people like to ask you about stocks. If, where are we, 2022, uh, if, if in 2007 or six somebody walked by or, and said, uh, hey, uh, or certainly before 9-11, if somebody were to walk by and said, uh, by the way, you like my portfolio in the Chicago area. I mean, if it, was, if it was your dad, John, and he was into stocks, you can only imagine that portfolio could have had Sears, United Airlines, uh, 
you know, certainly maybe some Kmart. Uh, those kinds of, might have been a, some Bear Stearns. You know, those types of things. They're all gone. I mean, they're, they're not even, they're, they're, I mean, they're not, it's not like they're trading down. They're gone. I mean, and I would have said, the portfolio looks okay. Bear, Bear Stearns. I mean, I, I would never have dreamed that every one of those companies would be out of business, would you? GM? No way. GM? I mean, would you have thought GM? GE? I mean, uh, which, you know, GE has to get a reverse split just to get back to where it looks like it's a stock. I mean, would you ever have thought that if you had GE, GM, uh, United Airlines, Bear Stearns, and Sears and Kmart, that you would have had a zero portfolio, basically, in, over in the next five years? Unthinkable. Tom. Yeah, it's unthinkable. So, I mean, I, I think when, when, when people, whatever it is you do, and it's funny, John, whenever I, whenever I give a seminar, we haven't done one in a while, but first thing I would bring up is, so did you buy any stocks this week? And you might say, well, yeah. And I bought, uh, whatever, I bought, uh, uh, well, it's a commodity or whatever. I, I bought Apple, all right, which is a, a good one. And I'll say, well, what'd you buy Apple for, John? And you'd say, well, it's going up. I did my research and I listened to four talking touts and, uh, you know, nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna stop the mighty Apple. And I say, that's fine. Well, who'd you buy it from? Well, what do you mean? I bought it from the market. No, you didn't. You bought it from a person. There's a person on the end of that transaction or an institution or somebody. Oh, really? <laughs> well, yeah. So, yeah, so you bought it from Eliani. She's on the other side of the transaction. Well, I never thought of it that way. Now, why did Eliani sell it to you if it's so obvious that it's going straight up? Is she that much of an idiot? Or maybe, or is it possible on Tuesday that she was smarter than you? Almost, <laughs> you see the look on people's face, they're like, you know, I said for every buyer there's a seller. Is, is the buyer always the smart one? You know, it's not, a, it's not calling anybody a dummy, because you're not. They could very well be, but the point is, you, you have to understand that every time you buy something, somebody is gleefully selling it to you. And, and happy to unload it. Well, on, on a trading floor, you're, it's a whole different world. Because you're you're making a market, so if I'm making a market in IBM, where where hell's IBM? It's uh, one thirty seven. It's down sixty cents. One thirty seven seventy three. So if somebody comes in and they go forty calls, I'm going to say, oh, well, in those days, using ace, I'm going to say, you know, two and an eighth, two and a quarter. That's my market. All right, I'll buy ten. I'm not. I don't. I don't have any any idea where IBM's going. Next guy comes in. Where are they? And now I'm going to say, well, I'm two and three sixteenths, two and five sixteenths. I don't, you know, I'm not at a quarter anymore. I don't buy something there. All of a sudden now, in the floor, somebody somewhere or two somebody's in a row now are bullish on this stock. I don't see anything in the news. I don't see anything. All I know now is for whatever reason, every, everybody walking in here is suddenly a buyer, right? You want to sell puts or buy calls or do something. I better, A, find a way to get somebody's back. Go buy some stock, which helps me out. It'll, it'll hedge me. Or, uh, raise my price. Now the next guy, it's two and three eighths. The next guy, it's two and a half. So I'm, I'm sure as hell not going to buy and sell any more at a quarter. I'd be lucky to buy him back there. So I'll, the, the thought that you were ever right on a transaction when you didn't initiate it, you know, it never even crossed your mind. So I know for retail people, they're wondering, what am I talking about? Because with retail people, they initiate the transaction. They're the ones that think they're, they're the ones that, I mean, nobody forces you to trade. Somebody calls PTI, tells my brother, or me, buy me a thousand shares IBM. You can do that, but then that's your your. So, if if you, if you all of a sudden got a tap on the shoulder from the big guy upstairs that IBM is going to the moon, and he did it to fifty other people, well, somebody somewhere, some specialist is sitting there going, 
Okay, now all of a sudden 15 guys in a row all want to buy IBM for me. What's going on here? So the f- I never dreamed that I was the smart one in the transaction. <laughs> but, but retail people all think that they're the genius, right? I mean, uh, why would I be buying if it was going up? I just, just got Joe's newsletter. It's going straight up. Okay, well, who the hell is Joe? <laughs> Am I talking out of school here? I'm, 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 I'm concerned about the people that are down 50 bucks in Target, John. Is that showing? Yeah, well, and the thing, Tom, when it, it becomes that, you, know, you can find other examples of this, I think, throughout the market, too, where, where stocks are you know, distressingly low in a very short time period. And you have to think, well, what's changed that's, that's driving that? It, it isn't like Target really is doing anything differently or more poorly that I'm aware of. Um, maybe they overexpanded. Maybe that's coming home to, to roost now. But I mean, they really have tried to reconfigure their stores. They're not the big, you know, big box stores they started out to be at all. Really, the latest ones seem to be much more compact. They're e- easier to configure. They, you know, they sell alcohol. They do all all the things that Target really didn't seem to be interested in when they first came on the scene. So it, they look very adaptable to me. And I would think in any kind of a, a confused, you know, time like we have with you know. It was, you know, re- retailers being out of stuff periodically, and the bigger chains seem to do much better, and they were really given preferential treatment throughout the lockdowns. You would think they'd be on a firmer ground now than before, and it, it bothers me that, despite all that, there, there seems to be a lack of confidence. And I have to think, well, wh- what are people responding to that I don't see, or that I haven't anticipated, and I don't study this stuff the way you do, but if there's something counterintuitive about it to me that I don't get. Well, there, there, there is and there isn't, because here's where I think um, you might want to put this put this in your nag and shake it around and see if I'm, if I'm wrong. There's nothing wrong with Target. The, the, I mean, the, the, first of all, the city of Chicago basically gave the city to Target. Right. I mean, because they, don't, they won't let Walmart in, or they, they've got one spot, and they closed everybody else up. Right, and because Target sold food, they got to sell blue jeans and everything else. Nobody could sell. So, I mean, to me, they they gave the place to them. But uh, the difference, Jan, is is it at, at one? At, where was it? What's fifty one plus one sixty three? At, at two twenty, you you anticipated a certain growth level. You 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 anticipated a certain uh, profit level, and say it was twenty times earnings, which traditionally is pretty high for a retailer. Matter of fact, it's real high, especially for a big re- retailer. And uh, now the interest rate environment at zero or at half a percent maybe uh, lends itself to that quote pricing, right? And uh, so now all of a sudden the interest rate environment, you know, grudgingly, the Fed is changing some of that. You know, I don't think they're going to do the job they're supposed to, but all of a sudden now. The, the target management has told you that because we're for, for, let's face it, Chad. Despite what these people, I'll be nice, say, we're in a recession. We got the first quarter was down. Second quarter is going to be down. I don't be I don't know if it'll be down from the first quarter, but we ninety percent of the people we know are not going to get a raise this year that's equal to the inflation rate. So by definition, they're worse than the last quarter, the quarter before last year. They're in a recession. So what the guy comes out of Target says, you know what? The future's not as bright as maybe we thought. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with Target. Right. And so now the, the market's saying, well, you know, based on all this, this 20 PE was a little high in the first place. Maybe a more traditional 15 or 16 is, is, uh, is, is, you know, appropriate. I'm, I'm talking for the market, which you should never do, but 
And now all of a sudden, here we are. It's at 163. Now what's wrong? Company's making money. It's right at 163. Looks at 163 instead of 220 and say, yeah, it looks about right. Well, that's where you are. There's no, it's not like they're closing a store tomorrow or nobody's right. going there. I mean, right. it's like, you know, somebody, somebody bought somebody's, uh, you know, 57 Chevy, man, for, for, for 50,000 bucks. It was a classic car. And all of a sudden, you can't borrow that 50 grand next time. And the first guy goes, I really love your Chevy. It runs. I just got in it, drove it around the block. Nothing wrong with it. It's, it's a pure collector's edition and it's a show car, but hey, buddy, the price is now 40. It has nothing to do with the car, right? Right. Car's fine, <laughs> and, and and that happens, and that's why when you when you do this, what the Fed does when you blow these prices up and they come down, it should be that at the end of the day, no harm, no foul. I mean, if you bought it at fifty and it went to a hundred, you didn't sell it there and back to fifty. I guess you didn't lose anything, right? Except for the fact that because you have an uneven because of margin loans and because of uneven tax treatment. You do have, uh, there's net losers in the whole mess, which is what I constantly fight against, and I don't know if I'm getting very far with that. If I'm getting nowhere, am I? Well, it's, that, that's the beauty of your outlook on this time. You have to, you have to take the view, um, the, the long view, that you can't just look at the balance sheet. You can't just look at a, a portfolio amount and, and you know, chart it from day to day. It's a bigger issue than that, and you can look like you've lost a little, and you've still lost a lot because, as you say, you've got loans and everything else on it. So. Well, the, the one thing, the one thing is as subtle as a train wreck is a is a call for margin. You know, and we haven't had to do any here, thank God. My brother does a real nice job, um, but I mean, uh, I think some of the people who uh, trade electronically through us on the IB platform have probably had a couple. Uh, they call you up and say. Miss Flanagan, <laughs> your, your stock is down, your portfolio is down, you owe us twenty grand, or what do you want to sell? It's as simple as that. There's no, give me a week. I mean, no, we, am I getting a check today or tomorrow morning, or what are we going to sell? It's worth twenty grand, and and that that's my my biggest problem. Even though I'm, you know, I've been no no Bitcoin pro guy at all. I mean, I've never been down that road with Bitcoin, but I'll tell you this: I don't want the thing collapsing. Because if all of a sudden it gets to 22000 in MicroStrategy, which has 2,100 employees, it has to start puking out all their Bitcoin and, uh, and it, because they got a margin problem. All of a sudden they're going to have to sell other stuff too. Every day they got to close up. I mean, how much money has this guy got involved? I don't want those people going out of work. And I don't, now he's going to, you say to yourself, why, why wouldn't he sell, if he, if he was worried about Bitcoin, why wouldn't he sell it at 30000 and sell it at 21? He's going to sell it at 21 because he gets the phone call. And unless that's happened to you, you don't really understand it. <laughs> I'm saying, I mean, why, why would, why, why did you, why are you selling it at 21, Joe? And uh, <laughs> when it was 30 a week ago, well, because I got this call from the bank and they said, "Sell it or you're out." Well, that brings up the issue to me of, of you know the, the Twitter, <laughs> yeah. whatever you want to call the soap opera that's you know changing day by day. But was was this thing from the get go an, an elaborate? You know, way of just exposing Twitter and crashing the company completely, not just weakening the stock price to make acquisition easier, but to destroy destroy the thing. Because now, whatever Musk does or doesn't do, um, he's, he's got Twitter, you know, dragging around by, by his little finger, and it doesn't look like there's anything that can prevent what he says or does about this from having an enormous impact on whether there is a Twitter before we're through with this. And it, it just astounds me 
maybe it shows exactly how little there you know there was no there there to begin with because uh, it's, it's unclear to me still what what Twitter is other than a publisher and yet they've dodged that bullet and can operate as if they're not a publisher with impunity and maybe now is the time to say well maybe they're not anything at all or anything worth keeping and we don't want Twitter or Twitter like things around anymore but I, I'm just amazed at how this you know the saga is unfolding and it's got tremendous implications for worldwide investors oh absolutely and uh, maybe after break we'll go in I assume you remember you probably don't remember all the details remember the, the fiasco that originally got him I'll say semi-spanked by the uh SEC, when he was going to buy, when he, when he lobbed the one out on Twitter, how he was going to take his own company private and name the price, right? And the stock runs up, and then he goes, "Well, basically, I was kidding," or something along those lines. And uh, the SEC didn't they make him uh, what he did? Couldn't tweet about the company anymore, and what else couldn't he do? Was it? Did he have to give up? He, he's still a chairman. Did he have to give up the president. He, he gave up one of those spots or something. And he, he got the board. The board had to do something, something. Or they had had a couple. Had a couple but there was some litany of of stuff he had to do to, you know, to be a good boy again. It didn't change him. Now here he is on this Twitter thing, talking about, well, I'll, I'll pay this. Well, maybe I won't pay this. And and, and plus, he bought more than five percent of the stock without telling anybody, without declaring, which is a no no. But that doesn't seem to be a problem. Now, if I know for sure, and, and I and I, you know, my concern i'll say for for regular regulators is uh is is always out on you know on my face somebody somewhere some firm bought that excess amount of stock for him and i absolutely guarantee you if it would have been me at pti i would i was my responsibility to say hey wait a minute you just bought more than five percent did you tell anybody now whoever he bought it through there's no there's no public flogging of them is there I'm sure it was Morgan or one of those places. I mean, I don't know who it was, but it had to be one of the top five firms. We can't go after them, can we? They're not. They're nope. not. I mean, it, it, everything you look, John, you look at all the different levels of this, you see nothing but stuff that's, like, wrong. I mean, SP Futures down 26. They've come back a little bit. NASDAQ Futures down 122. Again, big story is uh, Target down 24% to 50, down $51 trading uh, 163. Be right back. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howe, the Chief. 
We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. At PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification, or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello and welcome back, Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tom Howe. Eliane on the board. Eliane stepping lively this morning, even though she didn't know about the rain until, but she dodged it. I don't know, but yes, now it's, I did. But yes, now it's I rain. did. It still says rain coming on here on my machine. It says it's not here yet, but it is by looking out the window. SP Futures down 28, NASDAQ down 129. Again, we've been talking a lot this morning about the target situation. Stocks down 25%, 52.23, and Walmart's down again today after being clobbered yesterday down 224. So it's down a pretty severe drop in uh, equity values of those two companies in two days. Um, Dow Futures down 161. Again, the big movers there is Home Depot's down seven after being up yesterday. Uh, but pretty much every stock in the dial is down except for Chevron because, as we're about to tell you, oil prices are up again. Over in Europe, uh, DAX down 21.1%, FTSE down 15.2%, CAC around down 14.2%, so slightly down over there after big updates yesterday. So far, not more than slightly, though. Uh, Asia, Nikkei up 253, uh, 251.9%, Shanghai down 7 uh, 0.2%, Hang Seng up 41.2%, so not much going on there. Uh, the bonds, up uh, four uh, basis points. It's over 3% now. It's 3.006. One, way up to 1.08. It's way up for those guys. Uh, Japan, uh, unchanged at 0.25. Uh, yesterday, again, reminding ourselves of the nice big rally we had yesterday. Dow up 431. That's 1.3%. S&P up 80. It's a full 2%. NASDAQ, which had a bad day the day before, had a good day yesterday, up 321 points, 2.76. So we take yesterday... Today and the day before, we're probably still up a little bit, but pretty close to the flat line. Oil up 276, 115.16. Uh, I was on uh, China demand recovery expectations. Brand up two bucks, 113.93. Natural gas up eight cents, 838. Arbob up two cents, 396. 
We've got gold down 11.90 now. We, we, everything in the world is going up except gold. 18.07 is the number. Silver down 14 cents, 21.60. Copper down 2 cents, 4.21. And we've got Bitcoin down 271, under 30,000 at 29,846, but not 530,000, just right there. Oh, yeah, anybody here for us? Traffic Weather Sports. Thanks so much, Tom. Good morning, everyone. Currently 7.35 a.m. on May 18th. Let's talk about baseball. White Sox beat the Royals last night 3-0. Cubs beat the Pirates last night 7-0. And Diamondbacks lost to the Dodgers last night 6-7. Looking at weather in Chicago, got a gloomy day all day with uh, rain and a bit heavier rain later in the afternoon. Um, on and off all day. Currently 52, high of 68, and a low of 50. In Arizona, currently sunny, 74, with a high of 101 and a low of 72. Absolute mayhem on the roads this morning, so I'm going to get into it as fast as I can. Uh, we have traffic eastbound on 290 between Kingery Highway all the way to downtown, approaching the 290-94 construction intersect with an accident at Lake Street. We have traffic westbound on 290 between Racine and Kingery. Uh, intermittent traffic northbound on 294 between West 127th and Highway 34 and between the 88 West Ramp and Irving Park Road. We have traffic southbound on 294 between Balmoral Avenue and 22nd Street. Traffic eastbound on I-90 between Desplaines and Lawrence. Excuse me, traffic westbound I-90 between Lawrence and the 294 North Tri-State Ramp. We have traffic eastbound on I-94 between Deerfield Road and Canal Port with an accident at 63rd Street. Traffic westbound on I-94 between Route 6 and Willow Road. Traffic northbound on 57 between Route 83 and the 94 East Ramp. Traffic northbound on 55 all the way from East Main Street to the Lakeshore Drive South Ramp with an accident at Willow Springs Road. We have traffic southbound on 55 between South Damon and Route 171. Traffic northbound Lakeshore between East 31st and East Grand. And finally, traffic southbound on Lakeshore between East Grand and East McFederich. <sighs> Back to you, Chief. I have a question for uh, we have a question for Eliani here. Mm. Yeah. Uh, given the state of the city, yeah. do you think it's time? Or how are you at designing clothes? How am I at designing clothes? Well, I mean, I'm sort of selecting them. I mean, I'm, I'm, I think I, I, I'm pretty good at things. I mean, I do have three very distinct lifestyles that I live. I mean, I have my professional lifestyle and then I have my normal. How about? And uh, then I have, and then I'm also a stage performer. So different events require different, uh, versions of me. So I think I'm pretty good at it. How about putting together a line of, uh, Stocks and Jacks concealed carry clothing? (laughs) Concealed carry clothing. (laughs) Yeah! Could advertise in field and stream. Um, <laughs> I know, right? I, well, we'd sell it right off to our, our, our website. When you want to quietly be a thug. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm sure we could private private brand some of the stuff. Some of these jackets and stuff and, and woodies are really nice that are concealed carry. Yeah. Well, if Sven Gulli could do it, why can't we, right? <laughs> well, the, the weird part is that, not that I... Uh, I assumed that that was the all they had was you know like a nice jacket or, or, or hoodies or something like that. Yeah, they actually have women's underwear and everything else that are concealed carry. It's scary. I mean, what people think of that I never think of is just I'm jealous, I guess. But but I mean, we can have a whole line. Hater. You know, they, but I mean, you know, the uh, they have uh, some of the stuff. If you have, they have jagging pants that are concealed carry, I mean. I could see I could see you selecting the right stuff, and we could you know mark it up with the stacks and jacks on it. We need a nice logo. Okay, I'll go ahead. I'll I'll, I'll, look, I'll look for something. I'll look for concealed carry hoodies, and I'll email them to you. They'll just throw the logo on it. All You're you done. All you have to do is, is put concealed carry clothing. Where do you see what comes up? It's unbelievable. I'm gonna look it up now. Because <laughs> <laughs> here I got I got one here. Somebody sends me this ad. It's a camouflage hat, a high end camouflage hat. Now we we could say stacks and jacks on there. And I don't know if you should contact um, Gucci. 
But then again, for, you... for really expensive hats, and then just put S and J instead of the Gucci logo. But then you really want your logo on a camouflage hat, or is that defeat the purpose? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I guess you could put guess who. I'm on invisible there. except right here. Yeah, I'm invisible in the right. center of my head. <laughs> yeah. It's like putting the password on your helmet. You put the on. If I can read correctly, it's blank. You can't see me, just it's John a... Cena. Everybody, you can't see me. <laughs> God. Well, I think it, I think it is a growth industry tab. I, I, I think it say, is. maybe, but <laughs> I think it's it got is. potential. Let's freaking go! <laughs> but, uh, John, when you talk, we we're talking about the uh, uh, Twitter situation, and again, I'm going to a little bit of history. But when 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 the stack, let's say, let's say this: somebody say stocks and jacks is trade and trading options, and it doesn't trade very often. It doesn't move around very much, but it's so it's a a lower volatility stack. It's Trading twenty bucks, and all of a sudden somebody, some somebody who doesn't know anything about uh, anything decides I'll pay thirty for stacks and jacks, and you go, who's this idiot paying thirty? But anyway, says so somebody does. Well, the stack normally, depending on whoever the idiot might be, but if it's Warren Buffett, who's not an idiot, uh, decides to do it, there's probably a ninety-nine percent chance of if he wants us at thirty and we say okay, the deal's going to go through. I mean, he's got the money, right? So. It'll, it, not, two things are going to happen. One is, the stock is probably going to go to 29, you know, pending closing, because Warren Buffett, you know, somebody could, you know, he could get in a, hit in the head with an asteroid, I suppose, but there's some chance it won't close, but not very much. And oh, by the way, the option volatility is going to drop really low, because why would you pay the 30, you know, pay any money for the 30 calls if everybody's going to sell it to Warren Buffett at 30 exactly? Alright, so, one of the things that you can tell, what the market feels and uh, the, shall we say, the uh, chances of a deal happening by the calls and puts if they're still trading with any kind of premium. Because if all of a sudden the 30 calls are trading for 3 bucks, that tells me that the market thinks the 30 is too cheap and some other guy is going to come in and say, I'll pay 35 or 40 So that that's what that's telling you. Or the calls and puts are going to be the same. Eh, usually they're the same. You can, you can de- de- uh, price one off the other. But sometimes in takeover situations you can't. But what if you know? What if the puts are six bucks? Well, and you're sitting there going, "Wait a minute!" The whole world thinks that this deal is not going to go through. The, the most famous, uh, and I'll get to Twitter in a second. But there have been other situations. John, do you remember the uh, the aborted takeover of United Airlines at three hundred bucks years ago? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, United was trading. You know, it was a sleepy stack. And all of a sudden, one day, somebody says they're going to pay three hundred bucks for it. The stack races up. And the, the whole week, the option premium never really dropped down, John. It was still pretty high. And uh, the, the stock had come from, I'm going to say, 210, 220. I mean, my memory's fading, but it was, it was way higher than the market price, The, uh, the this takeover bid, alleged takeover bid. And every morning that week, some big fund in Chicago, was the teachers, or just somebody who had been an owner of United Stock like forever, because now it's trading 280, 285, not 299, but it's getting up there. Um, somebody says, I don't, I don't, I don't like this deal. And would sell there every morning. There was somebody that basically puked out the United stock and said, you know, I'll take the 285 where it's trading. I'm not confident of the 300. And people were like totally ragging at him. What are you doing? What are you selling off for? You're leaving $15 on the table. Sure enough, Friday morning, because one of the guys trading for me was in the pit. Somebody comes in and they sell the uh, 
the uh, 85 puts, stocks traded like 90, the 85 puts that expired four hours later, like for 18 bucks somebody paid for them, right? Sure enough, the deal goes sour. So, now, first of all, you and I would never buy 80 puts for $18 when a stock is supposedly going to be taken over at 300 four hours later, right? You'd sit there and go, why would anybody want these puts? You know, uh, it was it was a mil- millions of dollar ticket because the stack opened up on Monday morning at what like something like one ninety or something or one eighty five was brutal. So you can if you look to see how what the what the market's confidence is in a takeover, look to the option premium, which brings me to Twitter. Uh, last week, I mean, Trump or Trump, I, what, I keep those two guys. I don't know maybe because they both on the TV and talk so much. Uh, Musk is going to take it over at what fifty four, something like that. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the thing never quite made it to 54. Volatility in the option premiums went down. All of a sudden, um, I'm having a, an adult beverage and one of my guys from a firm who puts, uh, they, you know, they make markets while I'm off the floor. He says, Hey, what's going on with this Twitter? And I, you know, I don't have anybody in there. And I goes, Why? What do you mean? He goes, All of a sudden, these, the premium levels <coughs> are creeping back up. And I said, Well, that means, Somebody thinks that th- that this Mus- Musk is wobbling yet again, like he did the time before. He goes, "Yeah, that's what we think too." We're a little nervous about it because we were short selling a premium, and I, and it, all of a sudden the, t- the premium blows up, and now he's 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 shocked that there's these one of these things that are the fake accounts. He's shocked, shocked. It's gambling in this establishment. And all of a sudden, the deal, for lack of a better term, I, I give it what a forty percent chance, Jen. Yeah. But but yeah. people, but the, but the prices moved before. You heard anything, which frosts the living bejesus out of me, and I think you do too. It's, so somebody knew he was wobbling. I mean, I, I don't know if he specifically told anybody or whatever, but somebody sniffed it out, didn't they? Of course, and it, of course, you know, that that will story will never really be told. I suspect, or no. not until everybody you know, who knows anything or cares anything is long gone. But it makes you think that this is a highly manipulated situation. And information is being traded and held back and pushed and made up sometimes too, uh, without anybody taking credit for it. Well, it could blame. be it could be as simple as uh, that somebody they do their what due diligence. I was I hate that term, but people use it. Uh, they send somebody over there and they go, okay, how many of these accounts are real? And the Twitter guys, you know, well, how many of these are, are bots accounts? And, you know, Musk guy might say, well, what the hell's a bot account? Well, that's a fake account. Well, how many of those do you have? Well, they're like 20% of our accounts. Yeah, he goes, really? We didn't know anything about that. Well, maybe the Twitter guy made a call and, uh, and said, hey, these, these guys didn't even know we had these fake accounts. They don't, they don't like that so much. It could have been Denny's. It might not, I mean, I'm not accused. It probably wasn't Musk himself, right? But somehow or another, there, there's a, the seeds of doubt were sown, shall we say. And if you, it, it, you know, there's other operations that have the same, well, the history maybe isn't the right word, but, but look at the, the Wells Fargo fiasco where they had incentivized, you know, finding new depositors, new account holders, so they just made up accounts. It's just totally fake. It's like, you know, a fake mortgage and there's a lot of that going on too. But of course, when you, when you don't have any kind of compliance to prevent that, Happening, and it, it shouldn't happen. I mean, there's plenty of stuff on the books that, 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 that discourages it and penalizes it, but it happens anyway. Um, even Netflix. I mean, how many Netflix subscribers are there really? I mean, Netflix is complaining 
that from day one oh, sure. with Netflix. But there's sub accounts, you know, there's different users within a single account, and you don't pay extra for that. So you can easily inflate the number of people who have a Netflix, you know, profile. But it isn't doesn't translate necessarily to users or paying subscribers. So there's a lot of fictionalizing going on. Well, John, I've often wondered and that Wells Fargo situation, if that was just a, the most major screw-up by the board and other people. I, when we, uh, this is a long, long time ago, I mean, 30-some years, when we started PTI, uh, my brother went over to, actually, they had a, they had a uh, Harris Bank spot in uh, in, Mount, in Mount Greenwood. Not Mount Greenwood, in, uh, in Morgan Park. And they had the nicest lady there. Uh, and, and he went over and he spent a couple hours and he got a PTI account, he got account for everybody in the firm because he wanted to do direct deposits and they were going to do this kind of grouping thing where nobody had to pay any minimums, none of that stuff, Every che- everybody's check-in was free and it was really a, a nice deal. And, and I, I think, John, without even, you know, I had to go sign some papers, everybody did, I think that at the time they signed us all up for uh, savings accounts and other stuff, you know, that I, I didn't really need or want, but what's the difference? I mean, there was there, there was no charge to it or anything. I mean, and I don't, you know, I, I, I guess, well, I guess what I'm saying, I, I don't I don't get the no harm, no foul to me. I, I would never have accused them of anything nefarious doing that, but I, in my opinion, I don't know this to be true, I think what probably happened is people had all these accounts they didn't know about, but also when you sign up for a demand deposit, if they, if they, they kick you a time deposit account, meaning a savings account at the same time, and if there's the money can flow back and forth between one and the other. You never have to use it, and by the way, they'll never charge you. But why, why is that a problem? I think what happened was somewhere along the line, somebody came up with a brilliant idea of charging, like essentially accounts that don't do enough transactions, let's charge these people $10 a month. And all of a sudden, I'm getting a charge on an account I never used and never wanted to use. I, I think my my because if you never charge anybody, why would they care? Right. And right. I, I mean, it, there's no real misleading going on or deception. No. Um, so yeah. I mean, I, but, I, but I think it would you know, would think that the management or somebody on the board of all if they weren't just worried about selling their stock would say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do, does everybody who's going to get charged at least know they have an account? I mean, so w- wouldn't that be the first question in your mind? It would be for yep. mine. I mean, are these are these all active that we're going to start charging? Do people even know they have them? If somebody were saying, "Well, no, these are these are our uh, savings accounts that virtually everybody with a a demand deposit account we just gave to them, and half of them don't even know they have it," I'm going to say, "Well, you can't charge those people. What's the matter with you?" Right? I mean, I, I, it could have happened the other way, but but what, what do you if you're not charging somebody? What's the loss? Well, the only problem I think is if you start billing your, you know, company as having X number of customers, clients, users, whatever you know, the, the category is, um, and that translates to actual, you know, profit in in the, in the eyes of an investor or a corner on the market that maybe it looks like you have, uh, you know, enough people to call yourself this. Leader, but you you don't because these do not represent discrete individual things at all. And I, I think you know otherwise, if, if this didn't really matter in the, in the marketplace, nobody would be thinking or caring about any of it. But it does matter, and you can see how the data can be twisted to create a, 
completely misleading picture of exactly what we're what you're talking about. And I think that's what what Twitter is involved in. I think it was practically any media company is is got the same exposure or the same risk where they don't know themselves how many separate individuals they can call customers or paying subscribers, and they prefer not to know because it would be a, a discouraging blow to them that they're not the big behemoth they thought they were. Well, I mean, I think when, when you when you w- walk into this world, I mean, you and I were taught in a, we weren't in the same classes like I was with all the other of our guys. But <laughs> God. Was it a troop? A few going on these economics classes. We had a few guys. Some days I walk. Actually, Dave Murphy always came with me. He always went to class. Uh, but the rest of the guys, uh, not so much. I mean, <laughs> it was, I, I was in the latter group. <laughs> anyway, but I mean, there's a. You're all, you're, we were always taught to, to ask like the next question, you know, and it, it's it's interesting that he one of my. Uh, Buddies, I haven't seen him in ages. I mean, my, all my board, my Federal Reserve friends, I haven't seen in like two years because of the COVID. And who knows if I'll ever see him? I think they're gonna be home forever. Uh, but he was telling me one night about how many how many places, how many banks have active accounts where they don't even know who the people are and who, I mean, who the active. I mean, it, I think they're buttoning up on that some. But for you and me, because they'll go after you and me like there's no tomorrow. But he says they are investigating some bank, and they got all these accounts, uh, and they they say, well, it must be the CIA or the government or somebody that has these accounts. So they, they essentially call the CIA, and they go, they're not ours. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they call the NSA, they're not ours either. And they end up, he said, the amount of these accounts was way, way more, way more money flying in and out than you would ever think. And they, you know, they might have been set up how many years ago? Nobody knows who the people even are writing the checks or anything anymore. And it, <laughs> he goes, we pretty much stopped looking at them. But like, yeah, the CIA goes, no, they're not ours. <laughs> we just we assumed it was they were secret government accounts, and they're not. <laughs> but you hear some of this stuff, John. You just shake your head and go, God, what, what we don't all know, huh? I mean, it's well, in an electronic age, you would think that would be relatively easy to track and spot inconsistencies with, and it's actually the opposite. Well, if easy you to just feel snow people. Yeah, well, if, if you want to. But, yeah, I mean, if you want to. It's, it's easy to do. Because, I mean, I'd, you know, I, I was a uh, lady in my neighborhood. Uh, she, when I had my dog, Scruff, I knew everybody. You know everybody's dog's name. You didn't know any of the people's names. Real nice lady. You know, kind of, uh, we chapter one, and don't ever judge a book by your by their cover. I mean, she's just like a regular, regular, you know, regular person, graying hair, maybe early fifties, and uh, her little dog Puck got along with Scruff real well. But I mean, I just, I was always kind of, there's more to this lady than meets the eye. She was just really bright. I mean, just you know, and it turns out she's like a big time bank examiner. And oh, by the way, she was a serious uh, kayaker on the river. I mean, in terrific shape. <laughs> I mean, you would, you would never guess by looking at her any of this stuff. And uh, she goes, and one day we're talking about. Uh, because yeah, we put in a system for one of the banks and to track you know cash transactions. And I go, uh, you mean like the ones over ten grand? She goes, those are the ones you got to fill out a form for. They track them all. <laughs> Don't think for a second that everything you do isn't being tracked by somebody. And yet somebody will tell you from like the Fed, oh yeah, there's all these accounts. We don't know who the hell these people are. And yet they know everything you and I do. I I, I don't I don't get the the disparity here, Jan. I, mean, I guess I never will, but. I don't know. Help me out here. I don't. 
what I mean? Why, how do you just let the big big stuff go, and the little stuff? You know, we we got to go after those guys. It's certainly easy today to give the appearance that something is not held by person X Y Z. When in fact, it's controlled by person X Y Z or corporation X Y Z. But it's, it's easy to create a paper trail or an electronic trail that disguises that fact, and you can see this. Uh, you know, it's just uh, there's no good way of unraveling this to the satisfaction of any bank examiner or, or a forensic you know, accountant or, or anything else. I think you can create so many layers of you know, misleading information to disguise the fact that this may look like a, a whole fleet of different people or entities, but they are all under the thumb of one thing, and they all respond directly to that pers- person or that entity's control. How, how could you ever really do this? And, and Because if you're if you're smart about this or devious about it, you stay a step ahead of it. You just change the names or you know, change an account, retitle it, whatever. But it's still the same control that's being exercised. Well, I, I would agree. And I, but it, the idea that you ninety percent of the regulation seemingly is going to the to the ninety to to the, to the people that you know don't do anything. It's like we had when I, we had fifty eight thousand people at the airports, you know. Uh, Damn near strip, search, strip searching people, and yet we can't we can't hire policemen to take care of downtown. I mean, uh, I mean do we, is that really the way we want to we want to put our law enforcement all over the place? I mean, uh, right? I mean, we, it shows a complete lack of, of you know the true estimate of what what really is a, a risk factor worth worrying about here. It's wasted all this money on TSA nut stuff for what? <laughs> and we, as you say, we we don't have. You know enough of, of what we are wasting at the airports to keep people safe just walking down the street, minding their own business. Um, I, I just don't see how, how that's a, a good trade-off in anybody's balance. Oh, Jim, we got a couple minutes. Uh, we had we talked about Brendan a little bit. Any 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 hope for the city here? I mean, I, I, mean, I guess uh, there's well, I'm sure there's probably a lot I, of hope. I, but I fear, you know, I, I had kind of held out hope for David Brown just because I thought he did a. a, a great job under tremendous pressure in Dallas, and I was hoping he would get the job when it came down to the final few, um, and I held high hopes for him that he could be a, a stabilizing influence, that, you know, a smarter voice that, that Lightfoot or whoever ended up being mayor, you know, would be you know, able to listen to, but I think he's adapted Lightfoot's vocabulary now where everything that happens that, that just, you know, horrify people, it just has become unacceptable or totally unacceptable. And that's what people used to tell me in grade school if I, you know, erase the board in a sloppy way. Yeah. <laughs> this was, is a complete mismatch between calling something out for what it is and, and you know, the, the label that's, you know, what, what's actually happened here. And you, you contrast that to the way Eddie Johnson responded after the Jussie Smollett disaster. And he gave that just impassioned speech in defense of Chicago and explaining what a slur Smollett's behavior was on the entire city. And nobody died in that episode. I mean, it was a, a horrific mess. But it, 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 it brought out the best, I think, in Eddie Johnson because he, he, he showed his own passion for, you know, he took this as a personal affront. And I, I get now the sense that there is nobody even in the city council, certainly not in, in police leadership or in the mayor's office, that responds appropriately. They should be not calling this totally unacceptable. It is it is reprehensible. It is anti-human. It is anti-black. It is anti-everything you can think of. And nobody is ever going to take on that kind of responsibility to call this out for what it 
and it's, it's, it's such a mealy-mouthed way of dealing with a situation that I suspect there's no real will behind doing anything to pr- prevent us from getting worse. Well, they don't talk as if they know how big the, big the problem really is yet. Well, plus the guy who they shot the guy in Lincoln Park turns out he's four other armed robberies, and he was shot himself, and that's where they found him. Like, yeah, that, that was that was yeah. downtown. You know, a week ago yesterday, the one time I go downtown is it was shooting like a half hour after I leave, right where I've been standing, and that's the same guy. You know, so yeah. like, okay, yeah. this this world is getting a little too small for everybody, really. Well, it's got to be 150 of those guys the police know all about, that maybe. You know, there, there's a there's a, a jail in South Dakota is perfect for him or something. I mean, I don't know. I, something has to happen different. John, thank you very much for for piling in. SP Futures down on 46. Ouch. NASDAQ Futures down 192. Again, it's largely Target down 53, and Walmart down another two after getting clobbered yesterday. Retail, retail, I'm uh, not doing well here today. Back tomorrow, stocks and jacks. Stocks and jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968. What do we learn, Palmer? I don't know, sir. I don't know either. I guess we learned not to do it again.